more optimistic I can finish, uh, though I'll probably be pushing through a couple points where we could elaborate a lot longer, but since I'm not going to be teaching the next two weeks, I hated to leave you in the middle of a sentence and have two weeks off. It would be three weeks before we wrap it up, and then I'd feel like I should just start over, and that's not a good plan either. So, Ephesians chapter 1, if you're using a pew Bible, you will find that on page 976. 976. I'll get you started so far as context. Uh, it, is, it is just, I think, so interesting the way all the parts are coming together. And it's like finishing a jigsaw puzzle. Initially, it seems a little difficult, a little disconnected. But as the pieces start coming into place and you see the finished picture, it really is such a beautiful thing. And, and that's kind of where I feel like we're at on this long sentence that began in verse 3. It ends in verse 14. Now, our Bibles break it up. But the way Paul wrote it, it was one lengthy sentence. So the focus of it, or the, uh, the, the central subject of the entire text, is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what we've seen already in Ephesians chapter 1 in previous weeks is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us. He chose us. He predestined us for adoption. We have redemption, making known the mystery of his will, which he set forth as a plan to unite all things. Those yellow words are words that we spent particular or paid close attention to as we were working through this text. That's all that God has done in this text. This wonderful blessing which is multifaceted. And in what God has done, he's made all these, conveyed all these blessings to us. It's not because of what he knows about me. It's not because of what he knows about you. He's made all these blessings known because of what he knows about his son. So a sentence I literally worked on, this isn't true with most sentences because there's some sentences that come out of my mouth that uh, would have been left unsaid. It should have been inside words, not outside words. But I was trying to craft this one sentence like to kind of convey the point I'm trying to make. I worked on it for somewhere between 30 and 45 minutes. It, kept, it went through all these stages because I, I use a thesaurus and I'm, I'm trying to find what I think is the perfect word to convey what, what all of what you're seeing on the screen says. And the sentence I came up with, and somebody will probably come up after the service and say, why didn't you just say this? And I'll be like, oh, of course. But then it would take away my angst. The sentence is this. Each of the blessings linked with God's saving grace, are derived from God's purpose to place us in Christ. All that you see on that board, each of the blessings linked with God's saving grace are derived from God's purpose to place us in Christ. He doesn't make those blessings known or he doesn't convey them because of what he sees in me. It's what he knows about his son. That's where the assurance comes from. And that's very clear because I'll change the screen and I'll add words from Ephesians chapter 1. It says, he's blessed us in Christ. He chose us in him. He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood. Making known the mystery of his will which he set forth in Christ as a plan. To unite all things in him. 
This is all about what God the Father has done through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the eternal Son. It's all over this text. So, in verses 11 to 14, we conclude this, this grand blessing, and it's this grand sequence as it's progressing. It ends with these ver- what we see as these verses. In Him we've obtained, and maybe I'll just start off before I read this and say, again, we're confronted with the idea that all this is because of Christ. It's all in Him. If He's not in it, like, we're just hoping for the best. Uh, a wing and a prayer, but it's all in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So in him, we have some more blessings. We've already, I've shown you a whole screen of blessings. We've got two more blessings you can identify, two central blessings that are part of this ongoing sequence. Number one, it has something to do with an inheritance. Part of the blessing is an inheritance received, and we're going to spend a fair amount of time on that, especially as it's recorded in verse 11, and that'll come at the end. The second blessing is that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit. Or it could easily be rendered the the spirit of promise. Christ promised the Holy Spirit. The Old Testament scriptures promised the the Spirit, uh, the pouring out, the baptism of the Spirit. So you've got two additional blessings, something about an inheritance and something about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. Andrew McLaren is uh, not my favorite Baptist from that era. He's my second favorite Baptist. So you're all familiar by now, I hope, that Charles Spurgeon is my favorite Baptist. Andrew McLaren would probably be better known if it weren't for Charles Spurgeon, because everybody knows Charles Spurgeon. Andrew McLaren was born eight years before Spurgeon, and he lived, I think, 18 years after Spurgeon. So he was certainly a contemporary. He was a Scottish Baptist minister, and he's got all kinds of sermons available. I don't read him nearly as much as Spurgeon because I just he's my favorite Baptist. And I don't have him in my Bible program either. So he's a little bit harder to find. But Andrew McLaren, I, I read a fascinating several weeks ago, a message preached by him where he made much of this idea of according to. I think the entire message, I I didn't recheck it because after reading it several weeks ago and I thought I'd gleaned what I wanted, I think I pitched it. Uh, But I think the entire message was about the according to's of Ephesians chapter 1. And I, I thought as I worked on this text, again, I thought I need to spend a little bit more time there. So when we're, when you see, and When I'm teaching the Bible, one of the things I'm doing is I'm trying to feed you something. I'm trying to give you something that you're going to find that will make you say how great God is in His grace. But I'm also trying to teach you how to read the Bible so that you can do this on your own. So that you can begin as you read your own Bible, things jump out at you and say, I'm I'm noticing things being repeated. Or that's a very interesting contrast and you're beginning to identify things on your own, that's in some sense much more valuable than the short time we have together on a Sunday morning. 
So regarding these according to's, Andrew McLaren is saying, when you see that, know there's a correlation. There's a correlation. There's a cause and effect relationship. And, and to make it really practical, especially out of this text, when you see those according to's, he, what you're doing is you're tracing a blessing back to its source. The blessing is the effect. But what's the cause? What's the source of the blessing? And you've got all these according to's that trace the blessing back to the source. And you don't want to miss it. So we'll look at all of them in Ephesians chapter 1. But let's start where we're at in verses 11 and 12. The blessing is the inheritance. But if we trace that inheritance back to its source, it's according to the purpose of God who works all things, trace it back a little bit further. The purpose of God is traced back to the counsel of His will. This blessing of an inheritance traces back to its source, which is the purpose and the counsel and the will of God. Now let's go back to the first according to. In verse 5, you've got in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons. That's the blessing. Adoption as sons. Let's trace it back to the source. According to... The purpose of his will. You trace the blessing back to the source. In verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's the blessing. Trace the blessing back to the source according to the riches of his grace. The purpose, the gracious purpose of God and the riches of his grace. Then you've got in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. That's the blessing. God reveals to us the mystery of his will to unite all things in Christ. Let's trace that blessing back to its source according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan. Now, we can actually move forward as well. I'm going to do it one time just to show you the opposite of a blessing because when you understand how dramatic it is that God gives grace to sinners the likes of me and you, it makes the blessing much more glorious in some sense. So in chapter 2, you've also got two according to's, but they're translated by an English word following instead of according to, but it's the same word in the Greek. It looks like this. Chapter 2, verse 1. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to... The prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'm no better than anybody else in all the rest of mankind. But according to God's grace, he purposed to save me and call me out, just like he called out Saul, just like he called out what we, we know him as the Apostle Paul, but Saul. Charles Spurgeon talks about this, and I don't want to read a lot of Charles Spurgeon because I'll run out of time for those last two songs, but he just talks about how dramatic it is that God saves anyone. And the most dramatic conversion you will ever read in Scripture or you will ever become familiar with isn't what you read in Scripture. It's your own. It's your own. That God would save the likes of you because you are the most miserable sinner you've ever known. Because I don't know your thoughts. 
And you don't know my thoughts. I don't know your motivations. You don't know mine. But I, I know something about mine, even though my heart is deceitfully wicked. I know something about my thoughts. I know how undeserving I am of any grace at all from God. But God made us alive in Christ when we get to Ephesians chapter 2. So that's what we were. But before Paul gets us to what we were before God saved us, he tells us all that God is doing in Ephesians chapter 1. All right. In verses 11 to 14, Paul steps back from the progression of God's blessings that culminate in making known his will, that's where we were last week, a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. So you've got this this progression of blessing, and then right before verses 11 to 14, we had this, this grand notion of, and God is telling us he's going to unite all things in Christ, things in, in heaven, things in earth, Jew, Gentile, it will all be united in Christ. He's going to accomplish, far as the curse is found, his salvation will reach. He will remove the curse of sin from all of creation. But, but to get there, to get to that grand end in verse 10, now he steps back and he says, let's talk about how this unification takes place. Let's talk about something about the process, how we're going to get to this grand ending. That's verses 11 to 14. Pronouns are key. Starts off with we. And when he talks about we in verses 11 and 12, he's talking about Jews, believing Jews, believing Israelites. It looks like this. In him, we believing Israelites have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, believing Israelites, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. The second pronoun is you, and now we're introducing believing Gentiles to the believing Israelites. First, we've got we, we Jews who believe. Now, you Gentiles who believe, verse 13, in him you also, just like us, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And then you've got our and we again, which is all those believers lumped together. You've got believing Jews, you've got believing Gentiles, and now all together it reads, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That's kind of the process. And what's being emphasized in all this is sameness. Sameness. Uh, not distinction, not difference but sameness. Let me work it through for you. First of all, you've got a same message. He talks about in him you also, that's in addition to us Jews, uh, uh, we believing Israelites, you also, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You know what? That's what we heard. Paul says that's what I heard. I heard the gospel of truth. I heard, I heard the gospel of salvation. There is such a thing as truth. There is such a thing as truth. It's not my truth, and it's not your truth. It's God's truth. So that James tells me, the same phrase is used in James chapter 1, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. It's the word of truth that he brings forth uh, salvation. It's through his word of truth. And you heard what we heard. What we heard about Jesus, who he was, where he came from, how he was incarnate, how he lived this perfect life of obedience, how he was nailed to a cross, but God raised him from the dead. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father, from which he rules and reigns, and he's promised to return again to make all things new. That's what we heard. That's what you heard. So there's a, the same message of salvation. There's also the same faith. We were the first to hope in Christ. I mean, in Good News Club every week, we talk about to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Well, Paul elaborates, he buttresses that again. We were the first to hope in Christ, but you also, you believed in him too. What we knew, what we agreed to, what we're trusting on and relying on is exactly what you are knowing and agreeing with and trusting on. That's what faith is. So there's one message. There's one faith, a common faith. There's the same sealing. You also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's a big deal with Peter, right? When Peter goes to Cornelius and, and all of a sudden, Peter's the most interrupted man in the Bible, by the way. I love that little thought. Like in the Gospels, there are more than anybody else in Scripture that I'm aware of, Peter gets interrupted. Like he's interrupted on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's interrupted when he's telling Jesus, this isn't going to happen to you. He's interrupted when he's preaching to Cornelius. He's sharing the gospel. And he's trying to go through some more scripture. And the Holy Spirit's poured out. And it's like, but I wasn't done. But God's like, no, you're done. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's poured out. And, and Peter has to go back to the church and explain what happened. And he's like... Cornelius received the same Holy Spirit we did. The same thing. How could I prevent him from being baptized? He doesn't have to be circumcised and pledge himself to obey the law of Moses. None of that. He's justified by faith. So it's the same message. It's the same faith. It's the same sealing of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same pledge or the same inheritance. The guarantee of our inheritance. The earnest. The down payment until we acquire possession. And everybody understands what that is on some level. Probably if you've ever put down money on a house or sometimes maybe you put down money on a car, maybe just put down money on something you want somebody to hold it for you until you come back with full payment. Uh, sometimes I read a story and I've had this happen. I can't remember where now, but I know there's times in my life where uh, there's some activity and I've got to give them my driver's license. And that's in earnest. That's, a, that's some sort of a down payment where they know I'm going to return whatever it is or I'm going to fulfill my obligation because that driver's license is valuable enough to me that I will, I will make sure to come back for it. Our inheritance is so positively certain in Christ because we've received the Holy Spirit as an earnest, as a, as a down payment that this deal is going to be seen through to completion. There is no chance of this not happening. Now, I recognize there are Christians and there are Christian groups that believe, I, I think wrongly, from my reading of Scripture, but they think wrongly that a Christian can lose their salvation. And so when they see something like this about a guarantee of our inheritance, what they want to say is it guarantees that you belong to God so long as you choose to belong to God, so long as you persevere. But there's really no guarantee when it's all said and done. 
But this idea of guarantee in Scripture is used three ways. It guarantees authenticity and ownership. Make sure I get this right. It, well, that's, that's the first two. It, it guarantees, it makes something authentic. Uh, oftentimes when a letter was written in New Testament times, especially if it had implications, uh, it was sealed. Uh, and until that seal was broken, it guaranteed that this is authentic. It's been sealed. Nobody's tampered with it. The seal is still there. The second reason for sealing is to, to declare ownership. Uh, that is, uh, you might write something on your belongings. Uh, if you have livestock, you brand them. All that is, is saying, that belongs to me. That's, what's that's also what's happening here. The Holy Spirit is given to Christians. You belong to me. You've been purchased by the blood of the Son. And then uh, it also guarantees uh, it safeguards and makes secure. They sealed the tomb in which Jesus was buried. Uh, that was to make secure. Now, what they weren't factoring in is that God is bigger than our seals. But when God makes a seal, there's nobody that's going to break that seal. It's, it's a done deal because now God is the one that's, that's behind the seal of giving the Holy Spirit as a pledge until we acquire possession of this inheritance. So verse 11 is particularly thorny. It's particularly difficult. Uh, here's what verse 11 looks like. I'm going to give you an obscure translation an obscure meaning, uh, not that I've never heard of this translation, it's the New International Version, but obscure meaning they're the only ones that take this tack, and I don't think it's helpful. So there's an obscure translation. There's a popular translation, which may very well be right. Probably 90 plus percent of everybody's Bible here represents this popular way to understand verse 11. And then there's a, a more scholarly way to look at verse 11, where in my resources, anybody that deals with it in any depth, everybody that I'm reading is saying, now I know there had to be scholars behind all of our popular translations, but in the scholarly works I have, they all maintain that that verse doesn't mean what you think it means. It means something more. And, and to some extent, both truths are right, which I know, like, you're not sure what I'm even talking about right now, but you'll understand in a moment. This popular translation is making a true statement, even if it's not meant to be the statement there. And the scholarly translation is making a true statement, even whether it is or isn't meant to be said in verse 11. So let's look at them. Let's start with the obscure translation. The NIV reads, In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him. Which sounds familiar to you, I hope, because it sounds very similar to verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. You've got the same three components, choosing, predestinating, God's plan. Choosing, predestinating, the purpose of God's plan. So there's great similarity there, but the problem is this. In verse 11, that word chosen is nowhere near the word that's translated chosen, verse 4. And why a translator would choose the same English word when there are two different words that Paul wrote is beyond me. Because 
Essentially, the NIV doesn't say anything more than what's already been said in verses 4 and 5. It's like, yeah, you already told us that. Why are you repeating yourself? There's nothing added. But in fact, there is something added because this word should not be chosen. I'll show you the, how the Greek words look if you were to transliterate them into English. This word, uh, we get our word election from it. Even as he chose us in him, elected us in him. That is not the word elected. That is not the word chosen. That word means to make or obtain an inheritance or an allotment. That's what it means. It's only used as a verb in this particular verse. It's nowhere else in Scripture, uh, this particular form of the verb. So the NIV obscures what is the main thought, something about an inheritance. And the NIV only makes you, leaves you with, he's chosen us, which we already knew. And if you're not emphasizing the inheritance, I think you've botched your, your verse. The NIV does fine things other places. No English translation is perfect. I'm not down on the NIV that much. Uh, well, I mean, I think you could up your game, but... But at any rate, so that's, that's obscure because it obscures the real meaning of the word, to make or obtain an inheritance. So let's go to the popular translation or understanding. The English Standard Version, the New King James, the New American Standard, all say something along the lines of, in him we've obtained an inheritance. Now you've got the main idea, something about an inheritance. If you have a Holman Christian Standard Bible or a Christian Standard Bible, it says, we have also received an inheritance. Same idea. We've received it. We've obtained it. And we know that that is complementary with what he's going to say in verses 13 and 14. He talks about the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So it, it has that consistency we have an inheritance. If you're in Christ, you have an inheritance. That's a true statement. But the problem is this, or the reason why the scholars say not so fast, and that's because that word inheritance, it's a very passive verb. And so I'll explain that in just a moment. And so they're saying, I'm not sure it's talking about what you have. It's talking about what you were made, which I'll explain. It also they would say uh, the problem with this view is it, it's not looking at a bigger picture of how the word inheritance is used through Scripture. As Paul is developing this idea of Jews have this, now Gentiles have this, and it's all going to be united in Christ. What was it the Jews had? Well, on some level, on, on one very base level, their inheritance was going into the promised land. But nobody's saying that Christians have got a piece of land in Palestine and we can all timeshare out there because it's ours. Uh, so there's something more than that. Let's go to the scholarly opinion, which I, I, could, I think there's value in both. Uh, this is at least better than the NIV. The scholarly opinion, the point is this. This verse is not referring to our received inheritance. Rather, it is referring to the fact that we became God's inheritance. Verse 11, it's not what the inheritance we have, it's the inheritance God has. And that becomes fascinating as you play this out. This is easily sustained in Scripture. 
But let me get, here's some English translations. The New, Inter, uh, New English translation, which I use in Sunday school, came out a few years ago. Now they're in their second edition. It reads in verse 11, In Christ we too have been claimed as God's own possession or inheritance. The American Standard Version, which is highly regarded, though it's kind of choppy because it tends to be so word-for-word literal, the American Standard Version, early 1900s, I believe, in whom also we were made a heritage. That's translating the passiveness of it. We were made something. Not we were given something. We were made something. And then Berkeley's modern translation, 1958 or 59, I think. uh, In him, we too were made God's heritage. So let me show you. If we put it all together, it looks something like this. First, Israel was chosen by God to be his inheritance. Now, I don't have time to show you all those verses, but I'm going to read a fair amount of them. And you can either listen closely or you can write down those verses to check them out on your own. And this, there's, there's more than that, but those are exceedingly clear that God has a chosen inheritance. Let me start with uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 20. Moses says, But the Lord has taken you, speaking to the Israelites, He's taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of His own inheritance, as you are this day. I don't know if you've ever imagined that God has an inheritance. He chose Israel to be his inheritance. He took them out of Egypt as his inheritance. God doesn't need embellishing. He did it because of his grace. Chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. You are the sons of the Lord your God. You are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. All the peoples on the face of the earth. You're my inheritance. You're my treasured possession. Deuteronomy chapter 32. This one's particularly interesting. Probably the most interesting. It reads like this. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. Well, what... When Moses tells the Jews, the Israelites, ask your forefathers, ask your elders, what are they going to tell you? Here's what they're going to tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. The Lord gave inheritances to all the nations of the earth. But when it came to Israel, he says, that's my inheritance. Not yours. Nobody else's. That's my inheritance. That's mine. God's special claim of grace was upon Israel. It goes on, Psalm 33. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the name whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The point I'm simply trying to make is that God has has chosen an inheritance for himself. And all through the Old Testament, that inheritance is Israel. And then it explodes with what Paul says 
to the Ephesians, which we find out through the book of Acts, and that is we learn that these Gentile believers were also chosen by God to be his heritage. Now it's not just Israel. Now you've got believing Gentiles who are God's inheritance. God's heritage. How and why? How and why does all this take place? And the answer is right in the text. The how is, he tells us, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. You've got the accordings. Well, it's his purpose. He's working all these things out according to the counsel of his own will. Why? To the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. And on your own, I encourage you to read Acts chapter 13 because it is such a wonderful, vivid illustration of all these principles that Paul is teaching in that first chapter of Ephesians. Because in Acts chapter 13, Paul is on a missionary journey with Barnabas and they go to a uh, a, a, a Gentile city. They start off in the synagogue like they always do because salvation is to the Jews first and also to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are very interested more than the Jews. The Jews were interested, but then there were some that started debating with Paul. And Paul says, the next Sabbath, Paul's like, all right, you judge yourselves as unworthy for these things, we're going to bring the message to the Gentiles and they will receive it. They'll receive it. They become God's inheritance as they receive the message, the gospel message about the Lord Jesus Christ. Same message, same faith, same Holy Spirit, same inheritance. They receive what the Jews didn't in that case. Though with the Jews, there's always a remnant according to grace. But all this is being played out. Acts chapter 13 is a vivid example of that. What are your comments and questions? And I'm doing so good on time. Holy smokes. Uh, Andrew? You were referring to the other theologians. Oh. Yeah. Uh, was it Andrew McLaren or Alexander, Alexander McLaren? Yeah, yeah. He's a fascinating individual. Uh, in fact, I would say my own uh, working out of, of pastoral ministry is much similar, much more similar to Alexander McLaren than it is to Charles Spurgeon. Uh, for one reason, I don't smoke cigars. Uh, Why not? <laughs> just not my thing. <laughs> it's both statements are true because it is true we do have an inheritance, but it's also true God has a heritage. And then you've, I think you've highlighted what seems to be this huge theme in Scripture that Israel's my inheritance. And now in the church you find out the Gentiles are part of God's inheritance too, which is why the next two songs are going to be so good. You'll especially like the first one, I think, because we did it in VBS, not last year, but a couple years ago. Somebody else? <laughs> 